0: Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO, by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest is Saul Thorne, a.k.a. BanklessChick.eth. Saul Thorne has a professional background focused on graph analytics in the context of social networks. She joined BanklessDAO in July of 2021, becoming active first in analytics, and is currently an elected role holder on the Governance Solutions Engineer, or GSE team. In her spare time, she launched TalentDAO, which is studying layer zero and building human coordination experiments so that we might all benefit. In simplest terms, they are using science to fix DAOs and DAOs to fix science. And with that, welcome, Saul Thorne. Welcome to Making Bank. Thanks
1: for having me. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, that's great to finally have you on the show. Um, we did a little poll the other day during community call as to who folks would like to have next on Making Bank. And those votes came in pretty fast. There's a lot to touch on here between the Gitcoin round, GR15, that just closed. And TalentDAO participated in that. And that was quite a successful round. A lot of topics around decentralized science. Maybe jump into the most immediate thing, which is the Gitcoin round. That was fantastic.
1: Yeah, well, it was was really excited to be able to participate in Gitcoin this round. This was actually the first time that decentralized science had its own cause area for matching. So it's just been a really fun experience getting to participate in that. There's a lot of projects that I got to meet as part of building and advocating for all these different fundraising initiatives. And we saw just a ton of support that we were, it wasn't a complete surprise, but it was certainly like not expected at the level of contributions and engagement we got. It was very exciting.
0: Very cool, do you care to share maybe some stats on that? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I think there was about 80 projects that participated in the DSI category. And we actually ended up receiving nearly 500 contributions and becoming the first highest project in matching funds out of all those groups participating. So that was really exciting. And then I think we were somewhere in like the top 10 to top 12 throughout the entire fundraising effort. And I remember just going through the round every day and waking up and be like, Oh, 50 contributors. That's awesome. Oh, 100 contributors wow that's amazing oh we raised 10k wow 20k <laughs> and then by the end of it i think it was last like tuesday or something i woke up and there was like a thousand plus more people in the discord i was checking and we raised like fifty thousand dollars twitter's going off and i'm just like wow this is really happening And it was a very emotional experience. It was very humbling and also just validating the thesis of what we're building. And that is very much what I would consider a bottom-up grassroots approach to community building in Desai. And I, I think that thesis was certainly supported during this round with all the effort that went into people donating. It was really cool to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned grassroots, and I think that's probably a good opportunity to briefly explain what how quadratic funding works. Because this is a huge unlock for getting more visibility and more funding, quite frankly, and that's the goal, for projects that might be really popular among a wide variety of people, but they may not necessarily be able to contribute a whole lot versus a couple of major contributors And all the funding goes to one or two organizations. And this really flips that. And uh, I don't know, did you want to maybe touch on quadratic uh, funding? Well, I'm certainly
1: happy to try
0: and touch on it. I think there's a lot of people
1: that both understand it better and can explain it more easy. But my understanding is that with quadratic funding, there's essentially this equation that determines the amount of funds you're going to get in a matching pool based on the number of contributions and the amounts given relative to all the other groups within that matching pool. And it scales quadratically, which means it's like a inverted U shape. It's gonna jump high and then have diminishing returns over time, which is why you see that saturation point at the end of the round a lot of times as the Gitcoin sort of closes. Um, And that would be like my basic understanding and explanation of quadratic funding
0: all right yeah i actually had put it on my calendar because i'm i did gr13 i missed gr14 it was not intentional Uh, but you know you get busy it's like oh i thought i had another couple of days and i i am not gonna let that happen with gr15 so and i remember a specific tweet that you were you've given to so many projects and then it just comes back and so you know talk about reciprocity. It's really a beautiful thing. But I remember one specific tweet, and I just had to chuckle because it was a visual. And you were like, okay, cracking my knuckles, about to do another round for donations in GR15. So you sat down at your computer on a number of sessions to go through those. And it's like shopping on Amazon, except you're shopping for making the world a better place. I love it
1: yeah i'm a huge fan i think a big draw to me last year was nfts not so much for the speculation aspect but just sort of the culture and the collection aspect of it and being able to kind of acquire the different artifacts of communities you like and my new addiction is definitely funding public goods and Match purchasing any NFT I can find or any DeGen project I can find that's some sort of social impact cause. So I had a lot of fun giving to Gitcoin this round, especially because there was a Sci category. It was really just meaningful to me to be able to give to some of these projects where I know the co-founders. I know, you know, I know I've seen them start. Um, DeSci is very beyond right now, so a lot of these early projects like it's a small circle a lot of us know each other we've seen each other at conferences many of us are even I would call friends so it was just like really powerful to be able to just hop on and just watch like a hundred bucks worth of Matic give thousands in matching to all these different founders I care about
0: yeah, that's that's a really fun thing to see. It really does make a big impact. And I know we're talking about it a lot, but but I think it's really important and it's actually really fun to do. If you hadn't done it before, especially people new to this space and they want to start contributing these things, I have to say for a person first coming into it, when I first wanted to contribute to Gitcoin, you got to plan ahead because... Uh, You need to have some verifiable identity or credentials, whether it's Discord, Twitter account, a variety of things, ways that you can prove that you're an individual. And so setting all those things up so that you end up getting the 150% match is really important because you're throwing money away otherwise. And so doing all those things does take a little bit of time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But definitely worth doing. Um, I'm at 150% on my Passport. And had a blast sort of connecting all these different accounts. I think there's enough different verified credentials that you don't even have to necessarily uh, dox yourself, quote unquote, if you don't want to. So I think I have like my ENS, a couple other sort of on-chain signatures and various other things. I think I did verify my Twitter because I'm pretty vocal on there that it's me. But I think I kept my Discord unverified. Oh, okay. But we're still able to get that 150%. Okay.
0: Yeah, they've got they've added a lot of ways. So if you had looked at Gitcoin in the past and you thought, oh, you know, these don't really apply to me or I haven't explored those yet, take a look again. They've doubled or tripled the number of methods you can use. Anyway, getting on to things. So Talent Dow, delighted and and grateful that so many people resonate with what Talent Dow is about. And I'm just going to bring out a couple of core beliefs here, and that kind of launches in, I think, to a conversation about decentralized science. So these are the three core beliefs uh, listed on your website, and that's talentdao.io. And, of course, I'll have all this stuff in the show notes. Beliefs, why we do it. People should have the freedom to work how and when they want without relying on institutions or third parties for their livelihood. Second, traditional and hierarchical approaches to work have led to human coordination failures. These coordination failures cannot be repaired within our current work paradigms. And then third, knowledge should be open source. All right, well, I think it gives a pretty good indication as to why talent DAO is so popular on Gitcoin.
1: It's really exciting to see so many people resonate with the idea of decentralized work. And I think that it's just kind of heartwarming that there seems to be a lot of people that agree that self-sovereign workers is the future and a viable option that many should pursue. I think the difficulty right now is onboarding to Become a self sovereign worker very much relies on your competency in DeFi and a lot of the crypto scene, which is very overwhelming to people. But I think as we try to minimize the cognitive load that goes into kind of getting into Web3, you're going to see a lot of people that feel more comfortable working in DAOs and pursuing sort of freelancing in this space. And it's going to be really exciting because I think it provides a lot of flexibility.
0: Yeah, I was reading one of your pieces and you've had some excellent writing and there's one in particular that speaks to competency and working in a decentralized environment. And that really resonated. This space is difficult. We all learn in different ways. We all connect in different ways. When you look at what has happened through the pandemic and I was just talking to a neighbor the other day about how their kids have tried to stay engaged through the last few years and learn and stay connected with their friends. Unless you are of a personality type or you know the way you learn and think, and I can't imagine what that would have been like for me you know, as like 10, 12, 14 years old or, or whatever, and that even all the way through college, and trying to navigate that and do this remote learning where you're not getting feedback, really you are, but the tech gets in the way or had gotten in the way and it doesn't work for everyone.
1: It's really interesting you say that when COVID hit, I had already sort of progressed through the majority of my graduate studies, Uh, but the newest cohort of students that came in, they did the first two years of their master's Completely remote. And I can't imagine what that was like. I think when I first got into grad school, the social support you get from the people you meet in your program and those relationships is like part of what you're paying for, right? You're like wanting to learn and experience new things and connect with human beings. And for the last two, three years, most students in the world haven't gotten that experience. And um, I imagine that will have implications in our economy going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think we're already seeing, we've been seeing a mental health crisis building already before that. And I'm just really concerned about jumping forward another five years or so. You know, when people that have been affected at this very critical stage of life it's going to have a big effect. And I don't know how we're going to navigate that as a society.
1: Yeah, I think like one of the reasons I got into DAOs and then later started Talent DAO was because I wanted a sense of belongingness. I had felt like sort of Working in a global, sort of fully online environment required more purpose-driven work with people that want to be more intentional about their relationships, not just professionally, but personally. Um, And the crypto community really had that, and I was attracted to that. And I think that um, the traditional sort of corporate lingo you're hearing uh, probably discussed a lot is like this idea of the great migration. And I think a lot of people sort of got fed up with their jobs, and they've been looking for something different, something new, something more purposeful. And for me, DAOs have been that thing. And starting TalentDAO, uh, a big part of that is trying to help other people become those workers and operate in a decentralized space that gives them far more control over their work environment. And I think the people that I've got to meet in Web3 um, have been really like impactful on me personally. I think I've grown a lot based on the relationships I've made here. And I can't really say that about a lot of the other jobs and industries I've worked in prior.
0: Yeah, I think that's a common sentiment. So yeah, touching on purpose-driven work, I think that's really key.
1: Yeah, there's an article that I'm sort of in the middle of writing after some conversations at MCON, and it's this idea of a personal network stack. We talk about in software, like a common, common stack, which sort of means what is the base layer of components and APIs or languages or, or databases that you use? What's your go-to deployment method or like how you approach building something? And I think of your personal network stack as sort of um, the social capital you've acquired to do the type of work you want to do. And we've always had social capital uh, in traditional organizations, right? Who you know is more important than what you know. Your sort of network capital is your net worth. I think these are concepts that most people would agree with and probably are somewhat familiar with. But this idea of a personal network stack in the context of DAOs and in the context of decentralized work becomes far more nuanced and actionable. And what I mean by that is you can work in multiple DAOs at the same time. You can search and seek out different communities that might have similar ideals or similar beliefs or similar cause areas or maybe even different cause areas that you want to contribute to. So when I think of a personal network stack, it's sort of like, what are the communities you've built your professional identity around to do the type of work you do? I don't know if everybody will have a full-time job in the future of work with just one company where you're kind of like, you know, you're there and you're nowhere else and you're committed, right? Like traditional companies, they want that commitment and they don't want you to, to leave and, and turn over. Whereas in DAOs and Web3, like I'm working at Bankless DAO. I'm working at Talent DAO, um, I'm doing some stuff for Lobby3. I just recently joined actually another research organization doing about like 10, 15 hours a week for them. And when you add all those pieces up, it's a network of the things I care about, the type of work I like to do, the people I like to interact with, the value I like to exchange. But the difference between that and centralized work is that I have far more control over that and it's modular, right? I can spin up and spin down work. I can work somewhere else where another DAO might be more quiet and then maybe I pivot back. So I think that idea is going to mainstream. And we just need to reduce the effort to get people into here and to learn about Web3. And we need to create uh, a way for that process to be much easier and not require so much networking. So that's kind of like my thinking currently on decentralized work is like the benefit of decentralized work is you can build a personal network stack that is purpose aligned to what you want to do with your life.
0: Yeah, cool. It's interesting that you mentioned this personal network stack. It's funny. I'm working on my next essay. I'm doing bullet draft stuff here, so it's really, really rough. Lens protocol, your own personal API. You choose which interfaces to expose and which data to allow depending on the requester. It reminded me that I was working on that.
1: Yeah, I love that, actually. I'm a huge fan of lens protocol, a little alpha that isn't necessarily a secret, but definitely something I don't make known often is like we're building on Lens Protocol. I think I mentioned that in the Gitcoin grant. I see a ton of potential for building DAO governance within the social layer of people itself. And what I mean by that is having a Web3 social graph and a Web3 knowledge graph that can interact and is interoperable across platform. Like I have a, a SawThorne.lens profile. I can use it to sign into multiple apps and I'm the same person with the same stats and the same followers, regardless of what app I'm in. And what's really cool about Lens Protocol is not just the sort of own your own profile and own your own data component, which I think is what's most talked about right now, but it's that the way it's designed actually allows you to create governance, embed it, within the actual social sort of networking process. And what I mean by that is everything within Lens is an NFT, everything's an ERC-721. So it's like people follow you, now they have a follower token. So if you want your first 100 followers to vote on something, that's a smart contract. Like you can code that. There's modules that make that super easy to do in Lens. One of the things we're doing is working on peer review and just pivot into Desai a little bit to pull on this Lens protocol thread. In peer review right now, it's very top-down and it requires a consensus, right? And the nice thing about Lens is you can make that peer review process more of a social experience. And that's what we're doing when we talk about building a community-reviewed protocol. It's basically building DAO governance into the social networking experience. It just happens that the people we're building that app for happened to be scientists, but it could apply to any social network, which I think is what makes Lens so powerful.
0: Back in July, you wrote a piece called DAOs and Structural Adaptation Theory. You were talking about dimensions in organizational structure, so task structure, incentive, structure, and decision-making structure. The way traditional organizations versus DAOs work.
1: I think that's a good way to connect some of these concepts. That article series was two parts. It was mostly about taking in some of the org design concepts from the academic literature and trying to apply it and then improve it in the context of DAOs. And just to quickly define like structural adaptation theory, it's a smaller theory that's been studied for across a handful of different sort of experiments. And basically it talks about the idea of asymmetric change and makes the argument that when organizations change their structure and how they do things, how they pay people, how they classify roles, how they decide who makes decisions, there's always certain levels of centralization and decentralization, right? It's on a spectrum. Like you can have centralized decision-making, you can have decentralized, right, which is what DAOs aspires to be. Structural adaptation theory basically takes that and makes the statement that that change process is asymmetric. And what's been suggested so far based on some of the experiments is moving from decentralization to centralization is an easier progression path than moving from centralization to decentralization. And where the asymmetric change component comes in is going from point A to point B, even though point B to point A, they're the same distances. If you start at point A, it's harder to get back to point A if you have to go to point B. So that's a little bit convoluted, but...
0: I'll use an analogy. Yeah, sure. A current in a stream.
1: Right, exactly. A current in a stream, or what I used was a a one way highway, like a two-lane and a one-lane highway. So the example I gave was... You're driving on a road, you decide not to get gas because you can always turn around. You know that there's a gas station 10 miles behind you. And then suddenly you realize you're on a one-way street. So it's like moving against the current. That's a great way to think about it. Looking at that, Lens Protocol adds some really cool ideas in how you can structure decision making and incentive structures. And I think that that's certainly something that attracted us to Lens.
0: I'd like to get back to decentralized science and what you're trying to accomplish there. So maybe we can start with what some of the challenges are with the existing model of discovery and development of new breakthroughs to what some of the problems are in science and technical fields in particular that may be solved by decentralization.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a handful of problem spaces within traditional science across every domain that I think most people from either academia or applied R&D experience, and they certainly are very familiar with them. And so I'll highlight them here. The first one is around funding in general. Scientific funding as it exists today is very slow, very inefficient, more so a winner-take-all type incentive system and not decentralized at all, and there's no opportunity for any ownership. So, very typical sort of picture, if I'm going to paint it, is your professor. You are applying for government grants to try to fund your study and pay your students who are working anywhere from 15 up to 20, 25 hours a week on top of their classes They might also be having a part-time job because their grant funding doesn't pay enough for them. So you're a professor, you have this situation, you're looking for grants and it takes you a year just to get a decision for some of these larger National Science Foundation and some of these other large sort of government funded science pools of money. And so it takes you like a year to get it. You finally get it, all that time's gone, obviously. Once the loan's received, it's pretty normal that whatever institution you're at is going to take a ton of overhead, 30% on the low end, 40, even 50% on the high end. So here you are, you spent all this time getting a grant. This is already assumed that you've probably had dozens of rejections and a lot of people don't even get back to you. Now you have to have those resources at half of what you thought and you pay your students what you can't, and it's just like a very inefficient system, and you don't get to fully realize the fruits of your labor when it comes to existing funding models. And grants is pretty much the main option most academics have. They can do their own consulting. They can try to get paid projects for their students, but a lot of schools have contracts in place that you can't do that type of work outside of your job. They don't want you freelancing or bringing in your own clients or side money. So it's very restrictive. So the scientific funding model is broken. That's the first big one that I think a lot of DSI is tackling right now. If you look at most of the DSI DAOs, it's we fund X cause, or we do this type of investing because they want to try to democratize funding for science, which is the biggest sort of initial use case that got a lot of momentum. The next sort of piece of the puzzle that is equally frustrating is the publication side of it. It's not unusual to take two, even three years to get a peer-reviewed publication submitted and accepted in a top-tier journal. You'll spend three to six months composing the manuscript, doing the study, and you submit it to a panel of editors who might do a peer review. And it takes them at the earliest a month, two months to get back to you. More realistically, it's probably two to six months and they get back to you and it's a revise and resubmit. So like you don't even get it accepted. It's, oh, here's all these little things we want you to fix, do all these things, and then we might accept it next time. So you've been doing this for like two to three years, this back and forth. You finally get it accepted. It gets published. The minute it gets published... It's intellectual property that's no longer yours, it gets owned and stored by the centralized publication company, and very likely you lose all of the ownership and IP rights of that paper. But it doesn't matter, because the school that's employing you, all they care about is if you publish. And there's this terminology and this idea that's thrown around is called publish or perish. And it's the notion that most professors, if they can't publish, they're gonna be fired and asked to be let go and they're not gonna get tenureship. And that's a problem in and of itself because now we're incentivizing quantity over quality. A big reason is most school rankings is based on publication, but that's a whole other topic that we could get into
0: Oh, that we're measuring the wrong things in, in pretty much everything?
1: <laughs> we're measuring the wrong things, absolutely. How student performance, the importance and impact of a degree, like all of that needs to be revamped. So you get your article accepted, you have this publication, and you spent three years of your life sort of fighting over it. So that's the social problems and the publication problem. There's also a, a technical problem within the current Publication process, all these papers and data and knowledge artifacts, they're stored on centralized servers, right? So they're not leveraging fault tolerance systems or blockchain or distributed file systems. They're just storing on their personal DigitalOcean instance or whatever. And it's very common in academia to have what's called link rot. So, like, maybe there's a citation you want to look up and you search it and then you get a 404 error and like it's gone it's that piece of science is just is disappeared and if it's some random paper in some niche field like that might not seem like a big deal but if we zoom out and add maybe 500 years look at the roman knowledge and some of the greek literature right there's a lot of lost knowledge that We haven't been able to recover, and it's because we didn't store the data right. That's the same problem we're having now. So there's another technical component. So that's the biggest sort of publication issues is those social and technical issues. The third one that is a big one is peer review itself. It's obviously top-down sort of attitude on, like, we get to decide what good looks like. It's very slow. It's very inefficient. And the peer reviewers aren't paid or incentivized at all. Most professors spend anywhere from 10 to 20 hours peer reviewing articles, volunteering as editors for different journals, and all of that is free labor that isn't compensated at all. It's just expected out of you. So there's a huge disconnect between the value scientists are producing and the value they get in return. So those are like a lot of the biggest ones. Another one that's really big is the replication crisis. This basically means like there's zero incentive to redo a study and do it again, even though it's super important to test a hypothesis multiple times in different ways if you're really trying to prove out and create a theory or a a body of knowledge that you can trust and can be relied upon. And you're not rewarded in academia right now to do replication studies. All that's published is new. And what ends up happening is you get a lot of derivative ideas and a lot of like superfluous ideas because you're just trying to reinvent the wheel and publish because your performance is quantity, not quality. So all of that is the moving parts in traditional academia. And if you are pretty web three savvy and you know about like crypto economics, you can probably start to piece together how DAOs and Web three is like the natural solution for a lot of those because Web three is all about fixing and realigning value incentives. But I just wanna I want to pause for a second because I know that's a lot to unpack. But that is like the very shortest answer I can give. Yeah, I um,
0: know you summarized that really well, and I was making a couple of notes for while you were talking. So just to go back, so for me, the first thing that popped into my head was the opportunity cost of spending all your time justifying your work to someone else to get some money you have to phrase it in a way that works for them and it's like filmmakers they submit to a festival or something that the creatives and they're doing media stuff are complaining about the same thing it's a very difficult process to get your work seen and then once it's seen then what then you have distribution issues then people want to take a cut you end up the creator doesn't get anything and you see this replicated in science every field it's extractive. It's extracting human capital for corporate profit, or in this case, academic endowments and all that kind of stuff. So it's the same same problem. Secondly, the time, from the time to grant, so it takes a year, peer review, maybe three years, and you're having to modify it. And then once you get it published, the intellectual property, doesn't even belong to you anymore, and then it's locked up behind a paywall. You can see the abstract, but unless you have access through some academic institution or some corporation that pays huge fees, you can't see even see it. And then the focus on publishing. If the focus is on publishing, well, we can just as AI gets better, you can just submit a writing prompt, and there you go. You got another publication. <laughs> you got what you wanted.
1: Yeah, it's a huge problem, and I think that most people in academia are at the least very, very stressed out and on the extreme end, like clinically depressed and not in a great mentally stable place. I know for me, grad school and pursuing a PhD, like that's been really hard and burnt me out a lot. And that's like not a unique or uncommon story. That's pretty much everybody that's ever tried to do that degree. And I don't think that should be the way, and a lot of that is because of all these problems I just outlined. You're constantly jumping through hoops just to do stuff that shouldn't be that hard because it already is hard, like science is difficult and complex, why are there so many obstacles to do science? I will say that, at least in the US, there was a a recent piece of legislation that, that got passed that any research or science that's government funding dollars has to be open source. So these centralized publications are no longer going to be able to close source knowledge if the study was paid with tax dollars. Now, obviously this doesn't apply to private funding or certain grant funding. So this doesn't fix the whole problem and it also only implies in the U.S. But it was a huge win for academia and for DSI. Uh,
0: I wanted to touch on something else here. We had Humpty on, Humpty Calderon, uh, talking about Orange Protocol and they were just doing another Twitter space the other day, so there's a lot going on there. But on September 13th, is just a couple of weeks ago, your organization, Talentow, and Orange have entered into a partnership, and this speaks directly to what we're talking about. I'll just read it rather than trying to paraphrase. It's a strategic partnership that will engineer a com- community-reviewed newsletter platform filled with fact-finding investigations, analysis, and experimentation of Web3 data. Now, that's one component. Obviously, there's lots of areas from climate to these other things, but specifically, this is a way to start building this rip- reputational model based on the reputation tokens and so on that are there on the blockchain. Did you want to touch on that at all? How Orange and Talent Dow are working together? Yeah,
1: definitely. I will. I will share a little bit there. There's a lot of exciting things we have planned in the future that I don't want to share just yet, but happy to talk about what's already out there. Really have been great working with Humpty and the team. I really like what Orange Protocol is doing. And there's good alignment because Orange is built with Polygon and Lens is also on Polygon. So there's some really cool opportunities to help build out and create some synergy there. This most recent drop we did was three non-transferable reputation NFTs. And they measure different things. I'll go through that in a second. But the overall goal of this is, can we encourage research behavior, pro-social behaviors within the DAO economy by issuing these meta-credentials and like this recognition of these behaviors? Obviously, this concept of soulbound tokens has really taken off and started a lot of conversations that needed to be had something that we've always been interested in is reputation at talent and obviously if you're building a journal or like a body of scientists you want reputable competent people assessing that knowledge so these reputation fts we just dropped they're free to claim and it's our initial experiment to try to identify the type of people we want in our community, and frankly, the type of people that we want in our early allow list for private beta. So there's the alpha for the bankless listeners. If you haven't claimed those, they're on Orange Protocol's website. And there's basically three things being measured. So the first one is your overall DAO activity, which is basically, are you active in DAOs? So this is not what you're holding. We wanted to separate financial reputation with sort of your social reputation. But this is, have you ever voted on Snapshot before? Have you ever created a proposal? How active you are on forums? Like all this metadata at that level, that's are you participating in DAO governance and working in DAO? So that is the first NFT. And when you go to claim it, we basically have this model that decides if you're eligible or not. So we have relatively strict criteria and like we are, we're looking for sort of the top 25, 30% of wallets that are very active within the DAO community. The second one that we're looking at has to do with just your overall sort of commitment to Web3 and your participation in Web3 from public good standing. So we're looking at, have you given to Gitcoin? Have you given to Giveth? Some of these other platforms. We're looking at how many POAPs do you have and what specifically were those events? Are they related to some sort of conference that's in crypto or something you gave and got a po for it to recognize that contribution. That's the second one that we're measuring. And then the last one is the only one that's actually specific to TalentDAO. And that's like the commitment to our community from like a communication standpoint. So uh, are you in our Discord? Are you talking? How long have you been there? And uh, to qualify for that one, you also had to tweet the Discord link and make your intention that you're joining. So those are the first three we dropped as somebody that studied reputation from like a graph perspective and like at a pretty rigorous level. I would call these very much toy examples and like the back of the napkin first stab at building these. But I'm very excited of what we've done so far and we've seen a lot of people claim them and we're going to start issuing these very often. And the models will certainly get more complex as we learn
0: well, cool. I just brought up this site. I connected my wallet and there's only four days, 16 hours, 54 minutes and 51 yes. seconds. So we,
1: uh, and we already extended it once and we are closing it. So it, closed September, it closes September 30th.
0: Um, September 30th. I better get this edit done so that people can know about it if they hadn't heard about it before. All right, cool. No, this is excellent. I love it. And I've been thinking a lot about this stuff, too, just in terms of trying to put out my own content and you know people that you're closer to that you maybe want to share some more personal work with that you want to gate to that group. And it's just for being able to share more of yourself but not just put it out there like on Facebook so the whole world sees it and then they sell it to somebody and suddenly you're in a Pepsi ad. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this lately and so this is a really cool, cool concept. Thank you. You're doing some AMAs coming up. Talent DAO, I just can't imagine anything I'd rather follow right now in terms of these communities that really have a huge amount of potential and great momentum right out of the gate. And it's just you, right? Do you have a co-founder?
1: No, no. I'm a solopreneur. I have an amazing, what I would say, founding team. So there's about 10 of us and about five of those people have been here since the beginning. I consider them friends and freedom fighters and renegade scientists. But logistically speaking and legally speaking, I am, I'm a solopreneur, single founder, definitely been bootstrapping this from the start. We don't have any VCs or benefactors. It's basically just been either my personal funds or external grants from awesome programs like Gitcoin. And I think it'll continue to be that way. We're not trying to take any investor dollars
0: i was just looking through your tweet thread and i see that you also just did an ama with polygon dow but that was on this last monday was it It it's the 19th of september
1: yeah that was awesome so polygon dow obviously i'm a big fan of polygon and the dow when it spun out last year and started a lot of the people that helped start that were from bankless which I think is awesome. I think it gave it a sort of ethos and compass on the way to think about decentralization. But anyways, last week we did an AMA with them. We talked about DeSci and sort of shield the Talent DAO grant just given the timing of Gitcoin. But I'm very happy to continue to work with Polygon PolygonDAO. They just launched an entire vertical and funding mechanism for DeSci. I think they're looking to fund like the next thousand projects on Polygon with like grants up to like 15K and a bunch of other really cool perks and access to their network. So us building on Lens and deploying the Polygon chain, we're obviously we're working very closely with them. And some of the people that are leading the governance team over there now and the ops teams are bankless OGs. And it's been really yeah. great to see them and be like, oh, it's so good to see you. It's been like eight months since we got to work closely together or it's been over a year. So that's really cool. But yeah, definitely check out that Polygon DAO AMA. I think it's mostly grant shilling, but we do have some good conversations. The person who interviewed me was also a researcher. They were like one of the DSi leads. They were asking like some very good questions and nuanced questions that people will probably appreciate if they want to learn more about DSi specifically.
0: That's great. I I don't have a total count in front of me, but if anybody wants to see the kinds of things you're donating to, all I got to do is look at what you've done on Gitcoin. But you've donated to like 50 or 60 different projects. There's no way we can go through all of them and talk about them, but there's a lot of cool stuff. There's DSI, crypto advocacy, LGBTQ projects, all kinds of stuff. And, um, and to me, these are all pro-social in my book. And actually... Following some of these projects that you're following is a shortcut for me to save some time, quite honestly. So thank you.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think next round, I'll try to build collections. I really like collections. I think that's going to be like a really big unlock and like secret to doing well in these is rallying as a community and building collections. I ended up joining a bunch of different sort of impact project telegrams and we were all coordinating to, like, add each others to each other's collections and cross-promote. And I think that did add a lot of visibility. So I'll be sure next time around I, I start tweeting out collections.
0: Yeah, and then doing diligence on these. It's hard to do much diligence on it, but it helps if you know some of the same people. You're talking about delegating reputation. And just like an example, if, if there's, like, two different carbon projects, for example, a carbon sequestration or whatever, whatever they're doing, Um, It's like, okay, well, they look like they're doing things kind of similarly, and then maybe share my list with people that I trust that are knowledgeable in that space and say, hey, look, these are the ones I'm looking at. You know, what's your take on this? Because there's just so many, and I can't, well, you can, you seem to be doing it, but contribute to all of them. And, you know, again, trying to make the most impact. And that also brings up impact DAOs. Yeah. This whole category. Did you want to maybe touch on that?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm very bullish on impact DAOs.
0: First of all, what's meant by that? It would right. probably mean different things to different people.
1: Sure. So I, I think of an impact out as building coordination mechanisms and technologies and communities that directly help, or to use the word itself, directly impact certain causes that are important to our society, either for like global reasons, right, like climate, and, but other reasons, funding medical research, or trying to reduce poverty, or building public goods, which public good is something that's free, that's offered to everybody, and, and benefits everyone. So impact DAOs are basically DAOs that are approaching the products and services they're building from from a pro-social and not necessarily a commercial or or for-profit mindset. And I tweeted out, I think like a week ago or so, that I'm not that excited about investment DAO uh, as a use case. And I think a lot of DAOs are doing that, with the exception of investment DAOs that fund public goods. And um, it's interesting, something Vitalik just wrote in his most recent paper basically validates that DSI is a really good use case for DAOs. And and basically what he talks about is like there's certain nuanced decisions that requires specialists for funding decisions and funding public goods is like one of those things. But anyways, yes, Impact is very bullish on them um, and I'm very excited about all the work they're doing. I love the work that Gitcoin put into highlighting different ImpactDAOs. I'm a little sad Talent DAO didn't make it into the applied research and Decide pages, just saying. I think we were probably under the radar a little bit as the Gitcoin book was being published. Nonetheless, there are a handful of DSI projects and applied research organizations in the Green Pill Impact DAO project book that they published. So I'm I'm happy with that. I want people to to know about the space, regardless. Mm-hmm.
0: Great, and I just wanted to touch on. You talked about you know, venture capital, uh, finance, things like that, and I wanted to point out two that are flipping that on its head a bit. And one of those is Fight Club with Bankless DAO, and what they're doing is basically training people that around the world who want to go through an analyst program and learn how to understand these projects and not feel like it's some, some mystery that only high priests of finance can understand. And so their mission really is to educate as many people as possible so that they can understand these things and demystify it. The other one I wanted to mention is FTW. That's for the win. We haven't had her on yet, but Lice underscore CH. We've been trying to get her on, and I think she's doing one coming up as well. This is FTW now. And they are specifically, her and her partner, they come out of banking in Switzerland, I believe. And the data behind diverse founders makes it a lower-risk proposition to fund diverse founders from a financial de-risking standpoint it is a safer bet and they are their mission is to a get that message out there and b invest in these diverse founders that are under the radar that really should be funded and so i think you know we look at it from that standpoint to me that's a pro-social thing even though it's investment related And so I just wanted to make that point on those two specifically.
1: Yeah, I would completely agree. I'm a huge fan of both those projects. And I think the way they're approaching investment, both from an education and inclusion perspective, respectively, is really good. And I've had a few conversations with TW, Dow, and their founders before. And we're definitely a group on their radar. And I know they're raising right now. I think they've probably soft-launched. I don't know if they're fully pre-launched. I think they'll hit, as they raise more and kind of hit the world by storm, I really, I do hope to work with them in the future. There's a handful of groups I would be happy to work with. And most of those groups are sort of community-run investor groups, right? The meta-cartels of the world. Outside of that, I've had really bad experiences with a lot of VCs and angels in this space. I think I bitch enough about that on Twitter that I probably don't have to explain it here there's definitely a lot of bro that make it very difficult for people that are different than them to try to get at the seat of the table, which it's really funny because in a previous life, the investors would call me for help when I used to work in my big four consulting job and prior to my transition. And I was like one of the youngest managers at Deloitte doing like product innovation and research and like, analysis and stuff like that i'm not just somebody who's crying about vcs i used to lead innovation on very big projects across the world at a very young age i know people from a16z i know people from y combinator and it's just so funny this is getting more personal like going through my sort of change period and not only into this space but coming into my identity i've seen like this huge difference where i basically just have given up i'm like okay fuck (laughs) investor funding screw institutional funding let's just focus on the community try to add value to the space and hopefully things like gitcoin and polygon dow grants and other grants can help us launch and get through that awkward cold start problem get through that awkward pre-seed phase and so far we seem to be doing okay
0: yeah and you know anytime you're trying to start something new sometimes you just have to plow through it and just know that you're on the path that you want to be on and then have people come in that really resonate with what you're doing and can help with it. It demonstrates commitment. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I think we, we did cover quite a few things. There's the Twitter space is coming up. This should come out before that Twitter space. Is this the one with Fight Club? Yes. That's coming up, I believe, on the 27th of September.
1: Yes. I'm going to be speaking on the Fight Club space with NF Thinker, that'll be super focused on just the Talentow business model and the value proposition. So it'll be much more of a pitch conversation, but it comes out on the 27th, I believe.
0: Okay, great. The obvious call to action here is to check out TalentDAO. Is there anything else that is a top of mind call to action, get it done now, or where to start if you really want to dig into yeah. some of these topics we've talked about?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably three call to actions that are most beneficial to the user and also very beneficial to us. So the first one is definitely go see if you qualify and claim those reputation NFTs because it will be closed at the end of the month. And those reputation NFTs will be very influential in the early days of how we start to think about reputation weighted voting for governance. The second big thing is to go follow our lens profile. So talentDAO.lens, we have a lens profile Our first 100 followers on that are going to be really important to us for some of the stuff we're building. And I think we have maybe 20 or 30 people. I haven't really announced that or advertised it much, but I think that's a really good thing to go follow us because it's a really easy way for us to have an allow list for certain things. And then the third one would be more for sort of the DAO junkies and knowledge seekers out there. I would subscribe to our newsletter. We're on Substack, -substack calenddow.substack.com. It's called The Newsletter of Decentralized Work. So we ship it monthly, and it's basically just like hardcore concepts about DAOs. It's rather technical, but it's for the purists, and we don't spam, and it's free, and always will be. We do take donations, but we don't we don't charge for anything. We don't run ads or anything like that. So highly recommend that content. I think it unpacks a lot of the science behind our thinking over the last six to eight months, And there's been a lot of great articles we also curate from other people that we really value and respect in this space. So I think it gives you a really well-rounded education on DAOs, at least within the last like 12 to 18 months and what they've been up to.
0: Excellent. That's a great set of easily actionable things for people to do. And uh, yeah, these reputation NFTs, this is very exciting. And as you said, this is just a little... This is a simple one, this is to get started, but you've got a lot of bigger plans down the road. And I cannot wait to see how this goes. And obviously there's gonna be a lot of interest in this judging from your success with Gitcoin uh, GR15. And I'm watching that for sure. So uh, thank you again, Saul Thorne. We're gonna have all this stuff in the show notes. And then if there's anything else you wanna supply before we publish, we can certainly drop those in the show notes as well. All right, well, this has been a great conversation. I Again, I really am super excited about what you're doing. And I'm delighted that you're rewarding people <laughs> that want to be a part of it. And I need to jump in and join talent now. So see you over there.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for the support. And yeah, see you around the Dow. It was great getting to know you. more, Dressed.
0: Thank you again. I would love to have another conversation sometime. We'll unpack some of this stuff. I'm sure this episode's going to resonate with people and we'll get some more questions out of it. Anything else that popped into your head that maybe you want to make sure we cover before we wrap?
1: Yeah, no, my my closing thought would just be thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. I love the Making Bank podcast. I love that you're trying to tell the stories of people in the community. And I love Bankless obviously. So hopefully we'll continue to have these conversations. And thank you.
0: It was great getting to know you more, Justin. Yes, thank you. You as well. Oh, I got to do the outro. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, do do the outro. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been Making Bank, a production of Bankless Dow. If you'd like to learn more about Bankless Dow, please visit bankless.community on the web for more information on how to get started. And of course, if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform.